Hi, um, my name is Isaac Feldberg, and I'm delighted to be here for a conversation for In Creative Company with filmmaker Peter Strickland about his latest uh, Flux Gourmet. Uh, Peter, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, I'm I'm really excited to to talk about this film. I feel like there's so much to dive into with with the subject of this latest film for you. But in in starting to discuss Flux Gourmet, I first wanted to ask about the idea of sonic catering, uh, just over overall, because uh, not having been familiar with it before watching your film, I was struck by how much it, it kind of resembles and mirrors so many interests that you've had in your films between the human body and digestion and sound design. Uh, there's so much packed into that that I was especially delighted to find that you'd actually been involved in a band like this uh, at one point. So I, I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about that. Uh, yeah, well, it started um, in 1986. I, I just done my first short film in New York actually and it cost the earth this is back in the days of 16 mil it was just unaffordable um so I felt quite burnt out I couldn't do another one but I mm. wanted to keep active and I wanted to kind of treat forming a band felt doable financially but I, I didn't want to be in like in, like in a band band I wanted to do something that I could pursue the interests I had in film uh, so we were treating sound the same way we were editing with sound. So I think we were not, when we cooked with food, we wouldn't um, perform. We would just document cooking. Um, mm. And then you take that sound. This is back in the days of quarter inch tape. And you treat the tape as the same way you treat raw food. You would um, chop it up. You would layer it. You would process it. You would mix it. Uh, so that was very much in this kind of parallel analogy with how you treat food, how you treat sound. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, we we um, we were going for quite a few years. It was never meant to be that long, but mm. I, I think I think the impetus was people like Alan Splett, his work of David Lynch, um, really just evoking atmospheres. Uh, that was the, a huge thing for me. It was not really, you know, we we we. We dabbled in rhythm, but mostly it was about, there was mostly devoid of melody, mostly devoid of rhythm. I mean, at the beginning, when we started, we were very much in awe of all these effects units. We'd never used them before, or I hadn't at least. Um, so there's a temptation to, to drench everything in effects, you know, mm. delay, reverb and flanges and so on. And I think the more confident we got, the more we felt we could just let the sounds be what they are and not hide behind effects units. I think a lot of that came from listening to people like Alvin Lucia, um, Robert Ashley, um, Francisco Lopez, but especially Lucia, who's very much obsessed with natural acoustics and how those acoustics could deceive you, how they could play tricks on the mind. That was a big revelation for us. And in in making this film at, at this point, was kind of that the genesis of it, thinking about your time with this band, or did that come come later for you after the idea of an institute? No, I mean, Sonic Catering was very much a starting point. It was almost like a joke. Um, <laughs> people were doing biopics of their bands, like Queen, <laughs> Elton John. 
Um, weirdly, the Elton John one was edited by Chris Dickinson, who did Barbarian. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, it felt perverse to do a biopic about a band that nobody's heard of. Um, I kind yeah. of like that idea. Um, but I didn't want to sanitize it. I didn't want to deodorize ourselves. I wanted it to be, you know, we're not pleasant people in in the film. So that that that, that was that was that was quite important. But I think so. That, you know, I think that was a starting point. Um, but then what kind of came out of it was this whole idea of food as a poison for some people. Something mm. that could be delicious for many of us can be a, a threat to other people. Um, and looking at the stomach as this disruptive force, uh, something you don't really see unless it's done as kind of a sort of frat boy type of comedy, right. uh, which, you know, I would not dismiss, but I wanted to um, look at it in a much more solemn manner. Mm. Uh, this idea of, of noise as, you know, it, it's an aesthetic, but also it's something which has, has a, a very personal focus for a lot of people. Um, it can act as a kind of catharsis. <clears throat> And with this character Stones, it, it has a very literal um, purpose to to hide, to hide his very embarrassing problems. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it was just an exercise. Well, more than that, I would say. I think it was something quite. There was a very deep frustration I felt with ignorance around stomach issues, and mm. I wanted to see: is it possible to take something that inevitably people find funny and see can can you? give it a, a different treatment somehow. And with with regard to that, I mean, Flux Gourmet has this, uh, this satirical bent to it, but I really enjoyed the way that uh, despite satirizing these performance artists and the institutions that are funding them, you're still riding this line, as, as you're saying, between sincerity and this um, kind of th this desire to, to really see people with kind of sympathy as well, the situations that they're coming from as well as being able to poke fun at everyone. Uh, did you struggle to find the same kind of humanity for all of the characters? Was there anyone who you had to kind of check your own opinions about someone who plays a certain role in that art institution relationship? Well, I think the easiest target for me would be the financier, the, the patron. Mm -hmm. They're the ones we have a very we have a love hate relationship with them. That's the nature of you know the people who fund us. Um, but it would be too easy to kind of play the victim. You know we're we're not victims. We we they enable us. Um, we have, we do have arguments. There's no I can't deny that. Um, yeah, we can really irritate each other. Um, mm -hmm. But how to do that? in a way which is more involving for an audience, which is not predictable where it's the, it's, you know, the financier being a bully. You know, that was not interested in that. I was interested in more in the artist being difficult and being right. Machiavellian, basically. Um, so really, I just try to be quite neutral and not, I don't want the audience to work out which side I'm on. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that, that was my stance really, to, to not, not take sides. There is that great line that, that Gwendolyn Christie's character has in the film where she's talking about this divide between integrity and entitlement in the context of her wanting to have more say in the, the creative vision of, the, of what's being made. Uh, in, 
in, in kind of a, approaching that, uh, I know that you brought your, your band back together to, to work on the film. Was, was that an interesting process? I know that you were in the band for a period of time, but there were periods where you were taking breaks, where you were breaking up and that, that this was a chance to come back together. But did, did you struggle with bringing those two spheres of your artistry together in any way? Uh, no, it was actually, that side of it was very pleasant. Uh, it was just great to see them again. Um, we, we, you know, I mean, how do I say this? Um, circumstances, basically, <laughs> that dictate so, much, so, so many of, of these things. So um, it felt very organic for this, for us to, to do this. Um, I wouldn't want to shoehorn sonic catering music in, you know, I have somehow used samples of our stuff elsewhere, but this naturally felt felt like the the, the, the perfect film to, to call Colin yeah. and Tim and ask them if they want to spend a weekend together. Um, and it was more than that. They they helped a lot on set. They it's their gear that you see in the film, apart from the mixer, which is a, a prop, everything else was working. It, it, it's theirs. And we use those yeah. same machines. Well, I would say they use them because they're the, they're the technicians. More than that, I would say. Um, but they were there to help the actors to know what button you press, how it's plugged in, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And so you you consider them more the technicians of the sonic catering band. Uh, and I, that was a mistake. I, I I should have corrected myself. No, they're much more technicians. I mean, I say the technicians because I'm not I'm not a technician. That's why I say it. No, of course. No, it was very much a creative. Um, you know, the three of us. Uh, I'm just I'm just technically useless. Um, but no, uh -huh. it, it was always been a very natural. Um, process when we've done stuff together no it's definitely an, an exchange of ideas absolutely oh i was asking mostly in terms of you know with this uh with this film specifically looking at a group of artists who are coming together and collaborating who play different roles in their group uh did you see yourself as any of the characters more than others well uh, i try not to you know I see myself in all those characters and not just the band. I see myself in Dr. Glock. There's an <laughs> element of filmmakers being yeah. deceitful and devious. Uh, I, there is a side of me that does that. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, mean, I think a lot of these things are, it's, it's a game of cat and mouse. It's a game of hide and seek to, to not, for an audience not to know which side I want, for an audience not to know which part is me, which, which part is not me. Um, I mean, what I was more concerned with, um, was the, the universal aspect of being in a band and this idea of you have the core creatives and mm. usually you have people who some would use a pejorative to call them, you know, um, session musicians. Um, that age old thing of, you know, I think when, when they go their separate ways, who is going to succeed afterwards if they split up the, the one who has the musical talent as in the, the technical talent or the one who has the ideas, but can't play an instrument or, or even plug in a flanger. Um, right. I didn't want to necessarily answer that. I just wanted to kind of provoke the, 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 those the, those questions. Yeah. And I think these things these things come into you see this all the time in in, in court cases with bands when over royalties and sure the whole fairness of of, of the system. So I think mean, the relationships in bands are, are very 
you know, obviously this is maybe a bit of an inside baseball subject, but it's an endlessly fascinating thing in, you know, the idea of control, creativity and dependency. I think, you know, the whole idea of dependency is something very uh, complex in bands. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in in a way as well, I mean, Flux Gourmet really does feed in to previous films that you've made. And I noticed all of these references to, to past features of yours. I mean, even the Barbarian uh, Sound Studio, the, the live cutting of, uh, of mic'd up vegetables on the table and, uh, and the, the way the audio is also kind of laying out someone's fantasy uh, in a way that, uh, uh, in a fantasy specifically of being urinated on or being, sorry, of being used, um, being defecated on in a way that reminded me of uh, Duke of Burgundy. And of course there are references to M Fabric far beyond Gwendolyn Christie being uh, back for this new project that for, for yourself in having made these films that are all uh, playing with genre in a very specific way and they have their own tonal sensibilities how did you approach the process of kind of acknowledging those, if that was conscious, while making Flux Gourmet? And did you see yourself as having more to say about those past projects? Um, I, I can see everything you're saying. Um, I mean, that, that is the nature of just, when you write and direct your own material, just stuff somehow, obsessions keep coming out. <laughs> Um, I, I wouldn't say it was a, a purposeful thing. I think there was, there's always a danger to be, you know, the, the in-joke, which I never like when directors do mm-hmm. that, with, it, with, that with, it, with a little wink. Um, right. I, 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 I hope I, I, I can avoid that. Um, no, I, 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 I guess, you know, human beings have a, we, don't, we all have a little range and I, I guess I'm mining that each film and, I guess it's it's, it, it's it's variations on interests, really. Definitely, and kind of finding a new way to rearrange those ingredients. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, but I mean, first and foremost was strip everything away, all those layers. It, it was a very human story for me about um, anxiety and bodily shame and very, very private problems and seeing how can we tackle those with some kind of dignity. Um, I mean, I, I guess I was interested in that, especially in, in regard, with regard to taboo. Um, taboo for the sake of taboo was never interesting for me, but I think when it's, um, when it's connected to something human, whether it's desire, whether it's suffering, and if you're opening something up where someone can talk about it without feeling ashamed, that's where it gets quite interesting for me. Absolutely. And I know that taboo is also is often seen uh, when it's depicted on screen, that shock value as the film creating this safe space to kind of navigate a topic that would be off limits in other contexts. But with your films, there's such a kind of a sympathetic uh, and kind of a loving approach to those subjects in a way that I feel like goes even further than that and questions the the whole idea of taboo, why things are off limits and why we why we can't get comfortable with certain elements of being alive. Uh, do you see that in, in this film? Um, well, yeah, I, I, it's 
hard, hard, hard to put into words. I know with the Duke of Burgundy, what I tried to do there was, because I think so many films that deal with alternative sexualities, within the film, it's, it, it's alternative. And mm -hmm. I thought, what well, it's somehow, if you normalize it within the film, no one's coming out. No one is different from anyone. They're all in, into kink. Um, right. By doing that, by, by, by normalizing, I think it, it has quite an effect on, on, on an audience to kind of somehow open up a kind of acceptance. Um, you know, this one is different because Macus is, his character is the only one suffering from C-Lep disease. Um, but again, what is similar, similar to Duke of Burgundy is that everyone's in Sonic catering. Um, it doesn't right. solve his issues, but... Um, but really, I, I think what I would try to do is just very um, methodically follow what he does and not, you know, you hear one fart in the whole film. Otherwise, it's all done as, as, as voiceover. Um, and, you know, my hope is that, I guess, initially, <clears throat> the nature of these things is people will laugh. But I think the more you're with him, hopefully the... Uh, I mean, not everyone. I mean, I, I think someone said to me, oh, your fart jokes weren't funny. And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Um, so, you know, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, I mean, the discussion of flatulence is, is making me uh, think about just sound design in your films overall and just how pivotal the sound design often is in your films to at least while watching them, I feel like it expands the parameters of the screen. I feel like there's more to the image that you, you need the sound to complement it. And you're really listening to the film as much as you're watching it. Uh, the images feel very enriched in, in that way through your sound design. Uh, when, when you're kind of finding the designs for, for your film sound, do you see it uh, consciously as pushing the film in any way beyond something that's like narratively driven into more dreamlike territory or is it goal oriented for you or is it more seek and find? I think it varies from scene to scene. Um, and the more I do it, the more, the less I prepare. I find the spontaneity of these things brings out surprises. Um, I can think of two off the top of my head with, 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 with Flux Gourmet with, um, it's a very simple thing when Fatma's character is lying in bed smoking a cigarette. There's a tape machine playing. Initially, when I wrote it, I was thinking she'd just be playing some restaurant chatter or so something like this. It was only quite late in the mix. I thought, ah, oh, she'd be playing back the performance. She'd be reviewing it, but more than reviewing it. I think she's reveling in the applause. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so that kind of added something to her character that was not in the script. Um, the uh, spoken word performance with the domino talking about her daily ritual, that was not in the script. I mean, that came about from a, a frustration I had with that scene that I just couldn't, visually it was there, but the sound, we just couldn't get it right. We were just putting more and more and more noise, being very aggressive with it. It just, it just the, more we, the more noise we put, the more, tame it became mm -hmm. and then i just want now just strip everything back make it as minimal as possible um then i wrote this this thing which was kind of inspired by bands like throbbing gristle um nurse with wound robert ashley even butthole surface white house who would often source recordings of people 
on radio phone-ins or whatever, usually talking about quite disturbing stuff. Uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want anything disturbing. I wanted something which was at least consensual. It's intense, but it is, it is consensual. Um, and then run it through a Nagra to give it this quality of coming off the radio. Um, but that really changed the scene for me. It made it quite confrontational, uh, which I, which I really liked. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question. <laughs> no, it does. It does. Thank you. It's, it's so terrific to get that insight into your process in that way. So thank you for that. Uh, it, if I have time for, I think, one last question uh, in, in this conversation, I wanted to ask you about uh, the role of the, or the influence of the Viennese actionists on, <laughs> on Flux Gourmet, which you mentioned in the press notes. And so I, I was doing a little bit of digging into that specific idea of Fluxus that's associated with, with that movement, the idea of uh, experimental art that's focused on artistic process rather than end product. For them, it was uh, in in many cases this resistance to commodification of art and to the idea of being in some way playing into the system. Uh, was it a similar approach for you when you were thinking about them as influences, the idea of trying to make something uh, that was a little bit more, um, you know, that, that wasn't commodifiable or is more a niche or to you, how did that influence manifest while you were making this? I think that was more of a general thing throughout. It wasn't necessarily with, with the, the actionists. Um, I mean, it's a very hard thing to pursue because I think just the nature of, I mean, you could argue, I think that the status that the actionists have accrued over so many decades has in a, in a way done the very thing they didn't want, <laughs> you know, it's kind of, branded them as kind of commodified them so i think you mm -hmm. can't your intentions are kind of by the by really in terms of how these things are appropriated and digested by an audience especially as 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 time time goes by so i i, I think i was more focused on the um confrontational aspect of, of, of that performance art you know spe specifically with um bodily fluids um mm -hmm abjection you know and, and it, i think it really connected with the story of someone who has to have a colonoscopy someone has to offer a stool sample something incredibly um yeah un uncomfortable really um and then someone just kind of but what what i really wanted to key into was the fact that fatma's character hijacks this she hijacks she, she kind of piggybacks on okay. someone else's suffering um <laughs> The guy who wants to make it invisible and just lulls him into the spotlight and the idea of which we all face when you know when we write things the idea of privacy and how that something so private he says sacrificed for the sake of art uh you know why the hell are we doing this kind of thing um what purpose does it serve you know um does this elimination of privacy does it allow others to somehow, is it a catharsis for other people to somehow open up about their issues? Uh, but you know, I mean, going back to the actionists, I mean, I, I, sh I should say, I, I'm not a huge fan of the actionists. I mean, I'm mm. vegetarian, so I, I always had issues with, <laughs> and you know, I, I think also, especially, I think it's Otto Mühl, I think there were definitely some questions around his behavior and this idea of, 
like we see a lot with very charismatic leaders, you know, the, the cult of a leader. I think that's a very dangerous thing. Um, yeah. But aesthetically, yeah, I think Kren, Kurt Kren, uh, Herman Nietzsche. I mean, I first, I heard Nietzsche, I heard him more than saw him first time. That was in a Jonas Mikus um, diary film, not Walden, one of his other diary films. Right. He had some organ music and he did a Q&A with the audience way back in the 90s in, in London. And yeah, I put my, put my hand up and asked him, you know, what music was that? And he said, oh, it, was, it was Herman Nietzsche. Um, so at least I had good music. Yeah, yeah. Despite, you know, all of the other question marks, you could still, you could still listen and, and get something out of it or around that, that music, around that movement. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think there was a, definitely a very strong element of catharsis to it. But, but that, I could get that from watching, seeing Swans play live or My Bloody Valentine. I think there was, yeah. and that's something very, very important for me because I really got that feeling from, from, from those bands. And I look for that in film. I, I get that from a, 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 a Gaspar Noe film. Mm-hmm. I get it from early David Lynch. Um, and that's something which I just can't put into words, which I find really fascinating. And I think you're pursuing that. You're trying to you're trying to somehow rationalize it in your head. In the pursuit of it, you you know you're not really going to rationalize it. <laughs> but I think yeah. there was this pursuit of, of that. So I think catharsis is is a very key thing, and also the catharsis of the stomach and this idea of purging. It all kind of connects. In kind of pursuing the same thread, that that idea of the actionist's activity of that of the process and the creation, uh, it, it strikes me as well that kind of examining process and artistic creation in the way that you often do in your films could also be a way to kind of dissect narrative, like you know making movies about making images and, and making sounds in this way. Uh, and I know that in past films that you've made, you've discussed specific genre contexts for some of that um, examination and some of that dissection, like uh, like Giallo uh, and Eurosleaze uh, for the Duke of Burgundy. Uh, for Flux Gourmet, was, was there anything kind of in specifically th- this, you know, dissection that was kind of new or, or kind of untested for you? Uh, or, or was it all in, in that way kind of experimental by your standards? Um, yes and no. I felt I was anchoring to a lot of things which were familiar to me, uh, such as band life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those meetings are very connected to film life. You know, those are meetings you have with financiers, um, charting someone's stomach issues. You know, there's quite a straight narrative. It's quite a, straight, a straightforward thing. Um, so I actually don't see it as experimental. And the structure was very much copied from Pasolini's salon. Okay. Uh, the circle of blood, the circle of shit and so on. Um, what I tried to do with the structure was link it to, well, you're basically traveling down the body. So you start, but you're linking that to a menu as well. So you have the starter being the tomato soup, but you're dealing with blood. Then you have the bile, which is the main course, which is the omelette. Then you have obviously the bow, the chocolate mousse. Um, so those chemical components in those credits are linked to those um, bodily fluids, essentially. Um, right. But I, I did copy that to some degree from Pasolini. Um, 
Yeah, again, I don't know if that answers your question. But... No. <laughs> Um, well, I, I was just going to say, uh, we do have a, a couple more minutes left and I'm realizing that I've, I've been so eager to dive down these rabbit holes with you that I haven't asked about uh, Fatma Muhammad, about, about your, your actress in this project who has now been ac across all of the features that you've made. And I, I just feel like I need to ask about your actors a bit more specifically because they are... <laughs> They give such rich and such interesting, unique performances to play these characters in your film who are sometimes skirting the bizarre uh, and, and skirting the uncanny at times. Uh, for specifically uh, working with Fatma Muhammad, um, what, what draws you to her as, as a collaborator and has kept you finding ways to work together? Well, I, well, I, I, I offered her a very small part in my first film, so it was never meant to be this long-lasting relationship. It was uh, very much, she had one scene in, in, in my first film, and I don't know, but she had something. I think she, I, just, she had this intensity that I really focused on. Um, so I invited her back for Bavarian, but then, I don't know, bit by bit, I discovered more. Each time, each film, there was something new I discovered about her. And I felt she had such such a range to her. Um, mm. And I always liked the idea of directors who come back with the same actors, you know, John Waters and Divine, or Fassbinder and Margaret Carstensen or Hannah Shigula, um, Bergman yeah. and Liv Oldman. So I, I, I loved to have that consistency. It was something, um, but yeah, I, I, I think she's incredible. It's just odd. I mean, I spoke to her, when is it, Sunday? And she wanted me to help her get an agent. Uh, she, no one hires her for anything in Britain. Um, and I, I think it's especially hard for her because in Romania, she doesn't always get much work because she's not, technically she's not Romanian. She's half Sudanese, half mm -hmm. Hungarian. Uh, so she's kind of like in no man's land, wherever she goes. Um, and we all know what it's like with that accents. It's, Actors are often told, oh, you, you can't play British because you don't sound British. Um, but, you know, we're going to get an actor put on an Eastern European accent. <laughs> you know, that's fine. Um, but, yeah, so, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm not a charity. I, I work with her, not, not out of sympathy, but I think she's just amazing. I think she's dynamite. I think she really yeah. brings out something in me that I can't do, you know. I think, I mean, I see her very much as a sister. Absolutely. She has the same kind of intensity that your films match this. It, it's a wavelength that I also could kind of, I would struggle to describe if I was trying to write about it, but it is this, um, this both destabilizing and very forcefully anchoring presence that, that she has. I always feel slightly thrown off, but completely entranced watching her in your films. Yeah, well, she's very funny as well. I mean, she's great fun to be around. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think this one was very tough well, for, 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 for all the actors, I mean, especially Fatma and Makis. I mean, the stuff they have to go through. Um, so obviously there were a lot of conversations around this. And how is this going to happen? And how are we going to do it? And I think the fear she had of what are people going to think? I think, you know, her background is, you know, a bit, conservative and um mm. so uh, um so far she's very happy with how it's, how it's gone down i mean she she called me after it was screened in transylvania so i think she's very happy with how it went and quite relieved i think that that, that is the word because i think she was really worried about it um 
but yeah, I, I, I think it just, yeah, I, 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 I think, I think there is a danger when you work with someone too much that it becomes a cliche or a brand, right, and a bit of a gimmick. So you know, it's always that fear of, you know, I feel I can't do the same thing again with her now. I feel I'm going to do right. something much more naturalistic, much more low key, perhaps, you know, I think it's, um, I've seen it with other directors, they fall into that trap. And as an audience member, you just say, yeah. You, and you have to stay fresh. It's tricky. Uh, it's tricky. Well, Peter, thank you so much for taking the time for this conversation. Uh, this has been a delight for me and I appreciate you sitting for it. Uh, congratulations uh, and thank you for the film. Thank you. No, thanks for your, thanks for helping with the film. So yeah, thanks for your time. Of course. All right. Uh, this has been for In Creative Company. Uh, I'm Isaac Feldberg. This is Peter Strickland. Uh, go see Flux Gourmet. All Thank right. You. Thanks. Thanks, Bye. Peter. Bye.